Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, based in Los Angeles, California. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. It was an opportunity to have a stage for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And so I could try to do characters or I would do little stories or things that ha- observational things and things that happened to me. Because it was really me taking advantage of the club, not to act so much, but kind of, yeah, perform. You know what I mean? That's the wonderful actor Michael Keaton talking about his early days doing stand-up, which eventually led to his acting career. We'd never met before, but I've admired his work for years, most recently in the Hulu series Dope Sick. And our fellow actors agreed. Just yesterday, he received the Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Male Performance in a Television Movie or Limited Series. We started our talk with the kind of giddy exchange actors sometimes have when they first meet. I've been really looking forward to this conversation with you because... Well, me too. Thanks. Oh, man, I love to talk with actors who I admire, really deeply admire. And you're, Thank you're you. high up on that list. Well, thanks. I The feeling's the same. And also the thing about you I always loved was, I mean, you could say you're intelligent, but, you know, that sounds so kind of patronizing. But I remember always you were such a fan of science and, and uh, you know, thinkers. <laughs> <laughs> Did you always have an interest when you were a kid? Were you a good scientist? You know, no, I wasn't taught much science, but I was always, since I was a very small kid, I was interested in how things were the way they are. Why were, what was going on there? What's really happening? And that, that, that turned out to be like science, you know? Yeah. I wasn't a particularly good science student. That wasn't terrible. I understood the basics, you know, but I I wasn't drawn to it or anything, anything scientifically. Math was really a, a struggle for me. Whereas anything with words and, and pictures and art or, or writing, I was in love with. But what's happened in the last, I don't know how many years, 10 maybe, maybe longer for me, is I'm really interested in it. And, and, we're, and weirdly, I actually understand certain things easier now than I did when I was a kid. And I can't, I can't explain that because I'm so either right-brained or left-brained I don't even remember which is which, and I'm not, I'm not making it up. I forget where the creative side. <laughs> That's how confused I am. What you're saying reminds me so much of what I went through as a kid by the time I was in high school. Although I was interested in why things were the way they are, 
Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was interested in science or math. Mm-hmm. And I, because I thought, and at the time it was a very prominent, very persuasive thought that if you were interested in one, you couldn't be interested in the other. Huh. Yeah. And that's not true. No. No, and you're, you're experiencing now the the real truth, which is you can be interested in both. And I'm uh, like I told you, we were joking earlier before we started. I, I, I said, uh, you know, to me, when I I'm bad at this, tech, I'm bad at things that are technological. And when if I flip a switch on, to me, I'm like a person in the Amazon who has seen fire for the first time. It's amazing that the lights go on. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a depth of anything, but I have a lot of stuff coming at me, but not a lot of depth. You know, I, every once in a while you get, you get asked to talk to uh, students at a graduation. And yeah. the last time I did it, I, I said, I would recommend that you do what I try to do is get to be friends with your brain, huh. get, get to learn how your brain works best. Because I, yeah. I have the feeling that we, our brains work differently depending on our, our past experience and what we come in with and that kind of thing. And, yeah. And what, so how do we work best? That's, that's like how, how do we work best as actors? It's, it's a very similar thing. The, the brain really should interest us. Yeah. All of us who are in the acting business because the connection mm-hmm. between the brain and the body is yeah. all we have to work with. Yeah, right. Like, like everyone calls it the instrument, right? It's like, yeah. yeah the instrument. You I, know, don't know, I don't know of any other art where, where you, you have to be in touch with your own self as the instrument. Right. What were you going to say? Right. I interrupted you. Um, how about this? Um, first of all, this is fun to me, what we're doing. I really like this. I get Once you start getting into conversation, I guess I, I like awaken or something. This is fun. Uh, explain this. I have no idea why lines and a script have become easier for me to memorize. That's really interesting. I wonder if it's something like this, because I never could learn things off a piece of paper. I remember uh-huh. the first time in, in school, when I was very young, I was supposed to memorize a poem. Mm-hmm. And I kept holding the paper and saying the words for hours, and I couldn't remember anything. Huh. Yeah. I still have trouble learning off a piece of paper. But the way what I've learned to do is not to learn the words, but to learn the feelings, the moments, huh. the attitudes, the what am I replying to? What what's making me say it? What's underneath yeah. it? Right. And when I get that, the line comes to me. Really? Does that? And I'm wondering if anything like that is happening to you. Are are you more in touch with your feelings from through the experience of acting, so that yeah. you have a similar response? I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe I connect quicker because I've lived longer or something. You know, uh, I don't know. That's. That's really interesting. I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't use a script to learn the lines. I, I, I read the scene into a telephone, into an iPhone, and I use cartoon voices for the other characters. Really? <laughs> yeah, so I know where I am in the scene. And huh. I, I, learn, I learn the interactions rather than the words themselves, but I stop the, I stop the phone when, it come, when my cue comes up. I say the line, and then I start it again, and I find out if I was right. That's great. That's great. I just finished watching you in Dope Sick. 
That was great. You play a rural doctor caught up in the, the OxyContin crisis. I, did, I thought you were just wonderful. But I, I heard you had problems scheduling the shoot. They were nice enough, figured out a schedule for me, which was condensed because I had another job and I had to be there by X amount of time. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I need time in between things. I can't jump to one thing right away. So I needed a couple of few weeks, which was nothing to me. But anyway, they condensed the schedule. I couldn't shoot in order, obviously. Mm, that's hard. So, yeah. And, and also, but, but I'll tell you something. This is fun talking to an actor because you'll get, I think you'll get what I'm going to tell you. So you're forced into, you, you know, um, not to belabor the point, but it is hard because you, you think, okay, no, uh, and it's eight episodes and, you know, the arc does sound very cliched, but the arc is, you know, the arc. So you go, okay, where am I today? And, uh, you might be shooting something from episode two, and then after you have to hurry up and jump to episode seven, and then back to two and three. It's and, really and it's, hard. It's really hard, and then because you, you got the emotional real estate, you know, you got the mental real. You know, you have all that stuff. But what was interesting, and I, I had a little uh, uh, groundwork done when I did a movie called Multiplicity, which we were doing that all day long. I was cha- I played four versions of me, four cloned versions of me, three cloned versions of me. And there was no technology, you know, so so I was acting against ping pong balls and sometimes you'd do I mean and that was like dope six was like grade school compared to what I had to do there, you know. What happens I think is and this is the amazing the interesting thing to me about actors, I'll bet you agree. You kind of think things are impossible. I like, you know, when you're starting out and somebody said, uh, well, can you, you know, can you sail a boat? Cause the yeah, of course you, I yeah, can. Of course oh. I can. Yeah. <laughs> Boats are <Yeah>. my life. <laughs> exactly. You live in Kansas. <laughs> 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 and you go, of course, you know, okay. And somehow an actor is going to figure out how to sail a fucking boat. If it's in either a hundred yards, am I right? Oh, you think, yeah. I think it, it's fear, right? Some, some kind of fear or something. One time when I was so out of work, I was working as a clown in front of gas stations. And I got a call from somebody and they said, do you know the part of Sky Masterson and Guys and Dolls? Because my father had played it on Broadway. But yeah. I had only watched it. I never, I, didn't, I never studied, never knew it. They said, our leading man out here in Illinois has just got sick. We opened in two days. Can you come out and play the part? Oh and I looked God. over in the corner of the room and I saw the shopping bag that held my clown suit. And I said, yeah, I know the play. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there in a few hours. <laughs> oh, man. That's great, though. Isn't that great, though? That's what we do. Well, but that's, my, that's so extraordinary. Do you have this thing that I have that if I think... If I'm offered something and I wonder, how the hell could I do that? That could I possibly do that? That makes me want to do it. Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's weird. I think it's. I think it's either you. Maybe you and I. We're maybe we're lazy. Actually, how about this theory? We're actually lazy. and We're laying around and we go. Because I remember reading the Jackson Pollock used to be commissioned, and he wouldn't do anything. He'd probably get drunk. <laughs> And all of a sudden he goes, when am I supposed to have that painting done for that rich guy? 
It was like yesterday, and he'd go crazy for like a week. And he, you know, he needed that thing. He needed his yeah. back against the wall. You so know do you I mean? do that too? Do you do you put off getting have, ready? I, I think I have a version of that. When I did dope sip, I'd show up, I'd get the wardrobe on, which is a lot of a lot of it. And I go. It is a lot of it. When, when you're dressed, when you have the right shoes on, yeah. you, you're secure in it. I worked, I worked with somebody who was a very good actor who thought it was extremely important to write out the biography of the character he was playing. Did, did you ever do that? You know who told me, who taught me that? A really nice guy. And I was thinking about him the other day, how, how nice and kind he was. I was doing a sitcom and it was pretty unpleasant experience for various reasons. And what was I watching the other day where the actor was asking a lot of questions. People thought he was crazy. And I thought, to me, these sound like totally legitimate questions. I don't know why people, why he seems like such a pain in the ass. So I was, you know, I'd ask basic things that were not that complicated. And it wasn't a fun experience. Alan Arbus had a role on it, who was Diane Arbus's Alan uh, Arbus okay. is one of my favorite people. He played the psychiatrist on MASH. Right, of course. He was That's so right. convincing that I used to sit with him between shots and ask him questions about psychiatry. <laughs> and, and one time he, he said, Alan, you know, I'm not really a psychiatrist. I'm just acting like one. <laughs> he very nicely one day said to me, hey, Michael, you ought to write your backstory." You know, and he was so nice. It was so not patronizing. He was so nice about it. That had never occurred to me. You know, I, I don't know why. It's only common sense. And I always kind of do a quick, even if it's a quick sketch of, you know, your backstory, you know. You know, you I, know? Ought to, I ought to give more thought to that. I've, I've thought, I've played characters that I've thought a lot about. But I think one thing that always worried me was that if I decided on a complete detailed background to the character and if i'm on a series for instance and they come in with a scene that totally yeah. abnegates that yeah then i'm stuck exactly i i think i look for clues in the material itself uh -huh. I, I try not to make too much stuff up but yeah. but Sometimes you're surprised by what the clue is that you, that that maybe nobody else ever thought of. Uh -huh. If you want this and you try to get it in this certain way, that that shows you to be a certain kind of person. Yeah. But I'm going to try that. I'm going to think more about that. And I think you're right. I think I think like to be. I'll be. I'm being really honest here. I didn't write a big deep thing about uh, the character, the Doctor and Dope Sick. Mostly it was Danny Strong and I talking about it and, and and i've said this before frankly danny had as m maybe more ideas about this doctor's backstory what he wrote it you know, mm. than i did and i thought they were really good ideas <laughs> and i said yeah that makes sense and then they, uh, i'd add something or think about what he said and that was kind of it you know i, I had about a, a, a 35 40 minute discussion with my own doctor Asking basic questions, which was basically, why did you want to be a doctor? That was basically that. You know, I don't want to smother you with praise, but that's one of the most extraordinary performances I've ever seen. There wasn't a moment that was f fake or forced. Oh, it was, it was, you weren't, you weren't showing us how you were trying to be the guy. You were the guy. 
You accepted you. you accepted it completely in my mind. I just loved it. I want, it made me wonder about your early background. Did you start in stand-up, or had you been an actor on the stage before that? Both. Uh, when I was in college, I, I was, and I was only in college for about two and a half years, I was, uh, I, I always would get lost in either books or uh, something on a, on a television screen because we didn't we live outside the city of Pittsburgh, far out, we're country people basically. And uh, somehow my brothers and sisters all older told me, I think my dad won our, our little black and white TV in a raffle or he did a favor, he was there, he did a favor. A lot of times my dad would trade sometimes because guys wouldn't pay him. Somebody gave him like, and, and I remember, and I was lost. I would watch all the Westerns and, and, and I watched the old movies. So I was already hooked into this whole fantasy world, really. So I always had an interest. And then I, uh, I became, and I really liked comedy a lot. And I, and I became even more in love with comedy. I started reading the National Lampoon and, the, and, and anything I could get my hands on, and funny writers. And so I was in college and I, had already taken a drama class, and I had never read plays before. Um, and and I had a really good teacher. Uh, he he's really good, and and I never I never heard anybody speak like he spoke. And I had never read you know there were classic plays, and he would discuss plays, and I I never did that, and that was interesting to me. And then I I I, I took another theater class, and it was more geared toward acting and I auditioned for a play and got it and wasn't really good in it. And it, it, no bells, nothing went off, nothing, no like light. No, it was like, that was okay. Uh, an okay experience. <laughs> and then I, and then I uh, t- started taking some class, but I was writing comedy. I started writing comedy then too, because I, I just loved it so much. And so when I, I was doing a play in Pittsburgh, but it was simultaneously, working at a public broadcasting station doing like, you know, not maintenance work, but I worked on the crew. And I was, a friend of mine told me about a club. He said, you ought to get down and do your, you're funny. You ought to go do some stuff down there. So I went down to this jazz club and they wanted nothing to do with me. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was going to be the discovered in the drugstore moment. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I was more of an annoyance than anything. (laughs) And so I was doing stand up, And so I was going back and forth to New York because I thought, I knew some people who were in the theater and I thought, well, I'll go into the theater and I'll, I'll, but I love comedy and I'm going to do both. And I did for a while. I was, I was, I wasn't really making a living as a stand up. I'd get, you know, a little bit here and there. And then I, and so I, I realized that if I was really going to be really good at anything, I didn't have the capacity to do both. So I said, I think my, I think in my gut, I will be, because even in stand up, I, I really admire a well-structured joke and, you know, you know, no one, no, maybe no one, well, very few people wrote jokes as well as Larry Gelbart from. Oh yeah. I mean, they were, those, those were like gems. Those structures were beautifully. And, but I didn't do that. You know, I, I performed, I almost performed like a small 
story and I don't know what I did. You know, but that, kind of, I want to tell me what your idea is about this. My impression is what I haven't seen. I didn't see much of your work when you were starting as a stand-up comic, but I've seen it on video since. Mm. And it seems to me that it was the kind of comedy you did that fed into your ability to be such a terrific actor now because you were telling a story as a character. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't Henny Youngman's one-liners. Right. It, it was an opportunity to have a stage and I didn't have to, I didn't have to audition for anything. I mean, I said, I got the stage for 15 minutes, 20 <laughs> yeah. minutes, but I, you know, I got, the, I got the show. And so I could create my own, and I could try to do characters or I would do little stories or things that ha- observational things and things that happened to me. Cause it was really me taking advantage of the club, not to act so much, but kind of, yeah, perform. You know what I mean? If your act is basically telling a story or acting out a story, it to me it's like singers who are really good singers because they can sing a story. Yeah. They often become good actors, like Lady Gaga is a wonderful actress. She really is, I know. And I think it's because they know they you know the thing about how they interpret it, right? Yeah. How you interpret the, the song, yeah. The streaming series Dope Sick is about addiction to opioids. But when we come back from our break, Michael Keaton tells me about his nearly addictive relationship with horses. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. The Foundation's mission is to stimulate scientific research in astrophysics, theoretical physics, nanoscience, and neuroscience, to strengthen the relationship between science and society, and to honor scientific discoveries with the Kavli Prize. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Michael Keaton. We'd been talking about his early career doing stand-up, which led me to recall my first experience in front of an audience. When I was nine years old, my father brought me on stage at the Hollywood Canteen to entertain yeah. soldiers and sailors. We oh, did man. Who's On First. And oh, the, man. The first laugh that came in over the, flo- the footlights was, I was nine years old. I had the power of an emperor. Yes. To be able to, and he taught me how to control the laugh. Don't take the small laugh. Hold it off for the bigger laugh that's coming. That kind of thing. Oh, man. Is that great? The old man. Yeah. Oh, that is so sweet. That is so great. But isn't that an amazing feeling? I've told people, I said, I love what I do. I can't even explain to people who have never done, like you, experienced it. But when you're in the zone in a stand-up and you have that power and control, my, my former man, manager and partner used to talk about how, how great a weapon comedy is. You know, how mm-hmm. a weapon it is, you know? Um, and... And how powerful that there's, there's no feeling. There isn't any feeling like it. Cause you know, you, 
that like what you said about your father saying, no, here, you take the joke here, but the joke's really, and then, and then, you know, to, to make it crest, you know, that whole timing, you know, you're feeling it, you know. You're dancing with the audience. It's like a dance yeah. you have with the audience. Yeah, yeah. Was your father um, uh, an actor and, but he, did he, was he mostly, a, was he in vaudeville? Or he, he had uh, been, when I was born, he was in burlesque. So the first three years or, more, or four years of my life was watching the great burlesque comics from the wings. Wow. And that's not really how I learned was watching in the wings. Wow, really? Because, you know, when he was in vaudeville a few years later, I would watch a great magician. I think his name was Blackstone. And watching from the wings, he let pigeons come out of a table that he had taken apart and shown you there was no place for any pigeons to be. And suddenly yeah. pigeons fly out. But I was in the wings. I saw where he hid the pigeons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what it was like watching the comics. I could see I could see where they hid the pigeons. I could see where the performance came from. And I oh, would watch man. them over and over again. And these were people I knew. So I could, I could track what, where they got that moment of inspiration from. Wow. And did your dad, was he, was he, uh, did he like that you had an interest? He did. He tried to discourage me from going into show business because he knew how hard it is. Yeah. But he helped me get one of my first jobs. He really wanted me to follow in his footsteps, but he didn't want me to have the pain. Exactly. That's, that's pretty great. Cause that's a tricky thing. You know, I've got a son who's really talented. He always had I always had the ability to write since he was little. You know, he, he used to, his mom and I had created this little space up in the attic where he could go into his own private place he could go in and he could draw on the walls if he wanted to. He could write. How old and was he, he when he started to write? I'd say he was probably wanting to write stories, if you want to call him that, 10, maybe, maybe, Maybe around there, maybe a little earlier than that. But yeah, that, that's when I I was I was eight when I knew I wanted to be a writer. Really? And I worked on it all my life. And did your parents say, like you know, as you said, your dad probably said, "Oh boy, this is going to be hard." Because I I kind of had that viewpoint too. I thought, do I really want to go through this? On the other hand, a person has to be whatever they want to be. So know? what is he? What? How old is he? What is he pursuing now? Okay, so here's so here's this is great that we're talking about this because I think about you and your father and all that, that great history. So his mom was always witty and, and, and could sing. She was an actress and, and she, you know, her friends and my friends, he, he was around it, but it wasn't like an intense, I mean, he was always on, he'd go on vacation with me, he was inside of a trailer on the set, but he really had another whole life that wasn't anything like, not like your experience, right? So he is now a, and has been, he, like all kids, you know, when he was in uh, his senior high school, like all kids, a lot of kids, uh, he always had an interest in music. And so he, because we kind of made him take piano lessons a little bit longer than he really wanted to. And I give most of that credit to his mom. You know, he wanted to quit, and he said, nah, a little bit longer. And then he, he did it, and then he, I thought he was reasonable about it, took more lessons, and then 
I said, he said, okay, I'm done. You know, I don't want it. And I said, that's fair. And his mom said, nah, a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> he, he now says, I wish I had kept on going even longer. So he had completely formed a band, had a good band, was really the writer. And as they got, they didn't get really much notoriety, but they were, they were okay, you know, rock band. And he was always being pursued by people saying, you do the writing, right? He goes, yeah, you know, I write with you guys mostly. And he wouldn't, God bless him, he was well enough to say, no, I don't want to leave on my own. I don't want to. Then eventually, you know, he, he realized this wasn't really going anywhere or making him happy. So he struck out on his own and he has become a very, very successful uh, uh, songwriter. He writes in different genres. And now he's just got done doing a um, animated, primarily lyrics animated uh series at, at paramount but but one day this is where i so he's doing great that's you know, that's got, a fantastic story that's so it great. Is great isn't it wonderful so, so one day he comes to me didn't tell me and says hey uh i wrote this thing he wrote a half hour a half hour comedy yeah and i wasn't surprised surprised but what i what i marvel at and this is why you're the perfect person to talk to about this but my question to you when I asked him was, how did you know where, like, where the beat was? You know, where the, how, how, he'd never written a fake artwork. Where he placed the jokes was, like, perfect. You know, where he, the rhythm was kind of, was just kind of there. You know, mm. he, the setups were, and, and clever, and then a callback to a joke, maybe. And I, so I what would, did he do? Would, did he learn from watching you in the wings the way I learned from my father? That's what I wonder, you know? Uh. I wonder. You know, one day he came to me, because, you know, he, I, I think he was raised right, you know, he wasn't allowed to watch certain things on the television or hear people curse for a long time or seeing bad, and he, and he, he stuck to it. And one day he came, he's getting older, and he said, hey, um, he wanted to talk about a couple things that swears. And it was so sweet and so reasonable. And you know, me, I'm going, man, sometimes there is no better word than fuck at the right time. There just isn't. So we had this long talk and he was basically asking for permission to hear some things that he wasn't allowed to hear up until that oh, point. Oh, that, that is, that's very sweet. You had a, you had a really, sounds like you had a really good relationship with him all yeah, along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he swears like a, Fucking sale. No, no. <laughs> you see, you kept him in a pressure cooker. <laughs> you you do this thing with horses that I never heard of. Cutting. What is that? I don't do it anymore and I really miss it. And one reason I didn't do it don't do it anymore. I it's so addictive addicting. It's an old uh, form of, uh, it's not rodeo. It's, uh, it's, a, it's based on quarter horses and their ability to go into a herd and remove a cow from sick or, or, or you know, a calf from its mother or steers from, from cows, whatever, or to put them in a pen, whatever you needed. So it's a, it, was a, it was a, an event where you rode into a herd, you had two and a half minutes and you, you, you had to remove a cow and keep the rest of the herd at bay and then go in and do it again in two and a half minutes. And then they judge you and you can't do it with your hands. You can't, you can't rain. You, 
You have to hold down the rein and do it with your feet and basically let the animal do it. And so it's the only hmm. sport I was ever involved in where your teammate is an animal. Wow. And it's so addicting because they're so athletic and you're on sitting on a thousand pounds of this creature that honestly, when I talk about it right now, or if, or if we, I get on the street here, a guy's got a couple and if I hang around, start bullshitting with some of these old California cowboys, I want to do it again, but I can't because you'll never make any money. It'll cost you money. And then you're in some shitty motel and, uh, you know, and, <laughs> it sounds it, like it, the worst kind of addiction. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. You it's wind up horrible. on skid row because you have quarter horses. <laughs> yes. And then, and then you hear this a lot. Hey, didn't you used to be in the, in the show business? You know, <laughs> you know, you go, yeah, I was. And you think, I better get back to this. I better, I better quit this and just go, yeah, it's fun. You know, I, I knew this would happen. I wanted to talk, I want to talk to you for a lot longer, but we're running out of time. And your this phone is going to so run. Fun. Oh, so terrific. But we always end every show with seven quick questions. They're roughly, okay. roughly about communication, but in, sometimes okay. in a weird way. What do you wish you really understood? Oh, man. Uh, probably inequity. You know, what? like, I'm a logical thinker. Sometimes not out of the goodness of my heart. I don't understand obvious inequity. Mm, good. How do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? You're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you see there is a place for that kind of language what's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you oh boy um oh boy i don't know it's one this is going to be one of those things we're going to stop and i'm it's going to hit me an hour from now i'm going to regret not remembering i'm going to think about that okay how do you stop a compulsive talker i uh, walk away <laughs> just you don't make any excuses no sometimes it gets worse as i get older my father was not rude well kind of but he didn't mean to be he was extremely blunt and to the point and as i get older i hear myself say things or do things i go oh man that's, that's not him. good that's him i gotta watch <laughs> this <laughs> let's say you're at a dinner party and you're next to someone you don't know how do you start up a, a true genuine conversation with that person. I asked I ask them something about themselves. I'm curious about, I, I tend to do that anyway, but I'll ask them uh, something about that I know, notice about them, or I'll ask them something if they've ever noticed something. And sometimes you'll find out if they have a sense of humor. Huh. And, and, and often if they don't, the, the conversation gets real short. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what gives you confidence? Obviously, I don't always have it. You know, yeah. I don't. I'm not always confident in everything at all. But um, I don't know where it comes from. But there are certain things I just, it might be that I'm a bottom line person. And so I, when I think about it, I go, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm not going to die. I used to have this exercise when I on my way to do stand-up where I felt those butterflies and the nerves uh, going, yeah. and the head going, this is going to be disastrous. And I would play out in my head horrible scenarios. Just the worst. <laughs> like what? 
oh, that it's people will not laugh at me, laugh at me, and make fun of me, and 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 I'll and I'll have some sort of medical condition, and I then I go, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so anything besides that was a plus. Right, right, right. Okay, last question. What book changed your life? Um, uh, unbearable lightness of being. Ah, uh, uh, yes, yeah. That, uh, wait a minute, though. I'm starting a book now that my kid gave me about trees, believe it or not. It's really not about trees, but that's that's too new. Um, I'd really have to think about that one. I always, I've had this question before, and I always regret my answer because I go back and I think, oh boy, you know, what, what did I read in school? It was probably more like uh, a play, you know, it might've been, might've been reading a play that I just never, I never thought of. I just never, I was I didn't know reading, exist, uh, writing existed like that. Well, then there's, there's two questions that we have to talk about next time we have a chance to get together. How about tomorrow? What are you doing? Oh, great. I'll, I'll be on a plane. I'll, I'll, I'll. Hey, this is so fun. I had such a good time. I'm so glad you had a minute to do this. It's just oh, great. Yeah. great, Michael. Thanks so much for the time you took. Thank you. This has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the Kavli Foundation for sponsoring this episode. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. Over the last 40 years, Michael Keaton has starred in dozens of movies, including Beetlejuice, Batman, Batman Returns, Birdman, Spotlight, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. He'll soon be returning as Batman in two new movies, The Flash and Batgirl. His recent lead role in the streaming series Dope Sick earned him a Best Actor Golden Globe. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Shedd, with help from our associate producer, Gene Chimay. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. Our researcher is Elizabeth Ohaney, and the sound engineer is Erica Huang. The music is courtesy of the Stefan Koenig Trio. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Natalie and Natasha Batala. They're mother and daughter, and they're both astronomers. And they both have experiments planned for the James Webb Space Telescope when it begins observing in just a few months. They'll be looking for planets beyond the solar system that may support life. And there are potentially millions of them. One night I'm out running in the dark and I look up at the sky and look at the stars. And in that microsecond, without thinking, I saw those dots of lights not as stars, but as planetary systems. So imagine when one day we look up in the sky and we see not that kind of cosmic loneliness, that extreme humility and feeling of insignificance, but we see a universe replete with life. Natalie and Natasha Batala, looking for life on other worlds, next time on Clear and Vivid.
For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.